everybody, and welcome back to Edging Podcast. This season, Edging on Small Soldiers, episode 2, where we'll be tackling minutes 15 to 30. I am Drew. I am Sam. I'm Adam. And we would really like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this week, Frog.com. All the latest pics of your favorite jumpy little guys. Now, we've been receiving a lot of fan mail lately about uh, our latest cast, cast member, Small Sam, so... Shall we hear from him real quick? Yeah, guys, just uh, he's just right here. My, oh no! What, what happened, Sam? Guys, I just set my full can of Diet Mountain Dew right on Small Sam. Oh my god! Oh god, he's screaming. Oh, no. Sam, oh, no. you know what to do. Do I have to put him out of his misery? Do I have to break his little neck? I think you have to. He's your little clone, Sam. It's your responsibility. <laughs> He's your little responsibility. Is that how that works? I, I, I would assume so. Sh- should we just go on with the podcast like that didn't happen? I, I think we should. I mean, he didn't contribute much, if we're going to be honest. That's true. I, I can definitely say this is the last we've seen of small Sam. Dear small Sam, you were great for a one-off gag. You will be missed. So how about those toys? Aren't they just wacky? <laughs> the darndest things. I hate Alan now shut up. I hate the way that he closes boxes. I hate the way that he's always screwing up. I hate his 90s haircut. He's just kind of awful. Everything about him is annoying. So get used to him, because we're going to see him the entire length of the film. <laughs> I hope you like him, baby. It was about the first 20 seconds of this 15-minute chunk that I heard Love is a Battlefield by Pat Benatar, and I have a prediction to make that every single song in this soundtrack is going to be loosely military-themed, such as If I Had a Rocket Launcher, War, or The Trooper. Oh, man, if The Trooper comes up, I'm going to be headbanging during this movie. Yeah, if the, when The Trooper plays, I, I pass out for about four and a half minutes. <laughs> is that how the movie ends does archer just like join a cover band after surfing the web for so long <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there okay okay we, we we start this 15 minutes with uh alan now shut up preparing to uh to talk to a hottie he's got to check his breath got to check his hair how would you describe this babe is, is she bodacious perhaps Ah, uh, that's interesting you would say that, Drew, because bodacious was the exact word I was going to use. <laughs> it's funny you guys are saying that, because she's 15. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, our leading lady, Kirsten Dunst, of Interview with a Vampire in Spider-Man fame. You know, the virgin suicides. She had a big career at this point, and now she's here... In the greatest movie of the 90s. Do you think she has scenes from this movie in her, like, reel... For when she's getting acting gigs? Do you think this is something that she's proud of? Judging from her performance, I would hope not. (laughs) She's doing an entirely adequate job. She's not... There's nothing bad about her performance. Yeah, weirdly enough, she carries most of the scenes she's in from here on out, which is the damnedest thing. I really like how much she hates her little brother with her saying things like, 
uh, <laughs> yes. with hi- him saying things like, I want a monster. And she says, I don't think so, you little brat. <laughs> oh, that just, little brother hate really runs strong in this movie. He just wanted a monster. So as we've kind of alluded to, uh, Kirsten Dunst brings in her little brother, Timmy, to shop for things for his birthday for his parents to buy him. And he wanted to go to Toy World. And for some reason, she takes him to the lamest toy store in the world. Why, why didn't they come here? Is it? Do, do you suppose it was closer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was location. She just does not give a fuck. <laughs> what a the, bitch. Speaking of the inventory <laughs> of this store, the background, I keep on trying to figure out what toys they're selling that are specifically non-war, but the background of every shot is one of those name a single thing in this picture pit photos. Yes. I cannot figure out a single toy that is on display here. Well, they have, like, nice Trojan uh, boats. You know, not toys of war. <laughs> yeah, the Trojans were very peaceful people. <laughs> they didn't have a famous horse or nothing. <laughs> yeah, horse, the most militaristic of animals. <laughs> when you say peace, they say nay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I like that. Thanks, brother. You saved the bit from getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> I I also find it a little this is about the part in the movie where it started getting on my nerves that they actually called like the oppressed monster people Gorgonites cuz I mean they have to know about the actual Gorgonites from history, right? What what are they? Gorgon was a civilization from around the time of Akkad in Mesopotamia that was famously conquered by Akkad and subjugated. I researched it extensively while I was plowing your mom last night. <laughs> oh! So while they're window shopping... <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so while they're... Uh, Timmy and Kirsty... Kirsty? 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 I didn't catch your name. Nor did I. I think it was Christy. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Alright. While Timmy and, and Kirsten Dunst are window shopping, Timmy slips away and goes to the back area where Archer, the Gorgonite leader, and Chip Hazard are having a duel to the death. And he gets shot in the face with some kind of hazardous projectile weapon. And he, he decides he wants these toys. Yes. Kids love a toy that could possibly kill them. I shot him right in the face, dude. Friggin I really love the Chip Hazard line, uh, Gorgonite, you are a hideous freak. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I want a self-affirmation tape of all of Chip Hazard's lines. <laughs> you are a hideous freak. Uh, I, And so, uh, little... Timmy, or whatever the fuck his name is, gets charmed by these uh, toys of genocide, and he really wants them, but before uh, Alan, now shut up, can sell them, the Chip Hazard and the Archer just disappear. Are they magicians? Or was the CG budget of this movie a little bit too low? (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised that Adam, last episode... Uh, made sure to tell us, strap in, because after I complimented how well the toys looked, because, oh yeah, we get into that stanky CG this 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, we yeah. get into the nitty-fucking-gritty, man. Well, we, Weirdly we enough, all of these toy like... effects were, were done with like actual 
physical puppets, but they, they covered them up with CGI because, you know, 90s. Terminator 2 happened and all that shit. Yeah. When we get the close-ups, it's the actual... Uh the actual animatronics and it looks pretty good in the close-ups like the way they move it does really look like toy like mm-hmm. yeah they're they're really good like the actual practical toys are very very good stan winston yeah. is the practical effects guy but yeah when they start going full cg they uh oh boy <laughs> things look a little bit rough you say we're getting in the nitty-gritty that brings up a very good question how would you feel if major ship hazard hit the gritty <laughs> <laughs> There will be no mercy. (laughs) That's what he was doing before he shot Timmy. Speaking of there will be no mercy, do you think there's a rule 34 of Chip Hazard and Archer? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There is no way that a couple of people have not had their sexual awakening to one of these toys. (laughs) One or more. I really appreciate that uh, Mary Jane, as Kirsten Dunst that is, as soon as she leaves, she meets Flash Thompson. He comes by on his bike and he's like, hey, babe, and they kiss. Alan instantly cucked. <laughs> he deserves it. Weirdly, weirdly enough, uh, we, we can assume that this character uh, Kirsten Dunst plays is either 15 or 16 years old. And the movie takes place in Ohio, wherein you need to be 18 years old. To have a motorcycle license. So. Oh no. I, I think it was a like a moped. Hmm. Does Honda make mopeds? Yeah. Oh, well. Alright. That, that, that was a bike. That was that was a bike for sure. Okay. Pedophiles. <laughs> Storming the streets of Ohio. I really like that it's just like in Spider-Man. Where P- Peter Parker's all like. I'm going to talk to MJ, but then Flash Thompson comes by in his sweet-ass car, and she gets in there. And that both these times, Kirsten Dunst is just cucking the unwary nerd. I really enjoy the scene at the end of these 15 minutes when the guy on the motorcycle, who has yet to be named, comes out and says, uh, I'm going to fight you. And then Alan says, I, mean, I don't want to fight you, Flash. And then she says, I wouldn't want to fight me neither. I thought you haven't seen this movie before. <laughs> oh, it does happen. <laughs> Oh, of course it happens. We do get through this scene of commercial transactions and uh, lusting after Kirsten Dunst just to find out that, what? Alan's dad forgot his wacky plane ticket off to Jokeland. Before we get to the plane ticket scene, there's something interesting I'd like to talk about. What would that be? Lay it on me. Uh, before he finds the plane ticket, Alan does find the toys fighting with each other. He finds Chip Hazard pulling a knife... Or some sort of weapon. What was it? A protractor or a compass? Which, whichever one that is. It's time for everybody's favorite segment on this podcast. Is it a protractor or a compass? <laughs> so uh, Sam, what's the one with the, the two pointy parts? Sam, you've had a lot of controversial takes on this segment when we've done it in the past. So would you like to open up this time? I think it was a compass. I'm pretty sure. But I, I would, might have been writing when that part happened, and I might not have actually seen it. <laughs> I would say I'm on this one. I also think this one's a compass. Is that the one with the, the, the pokey metal part and the pencil and the little slit? Yep. Protractor's a half circle. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> Put it down in the books, guys. Another episode of Protractor Compass solved. <laughs> So before Alan finds his dad's plane ticket, (laughs) 
<laughs> he finds uh, Major Chip Hazard and Archer fighting, and he grabs them and he interferes in their fight. And all of a sudden, they act like toys. They stop fighting. So, what what's up with that? Do they do they know they're toys? Are they trying to lay low at this point? Yeah, that had me confused, too, because I don't know what the hell's going to go on in the rest of this movie. And I thought this Archer guy, you know, he's he's supposed to be smart. I imagine he might figure out he's a toy. But Chip Hazard, he just he just wants to commit genocide. What what logic does he have to just act like a statue? See, and you, you might think that they're playing, you know, Andy's coming or anything like that. But they this is the only time they do this in the movie. They don't care later on. Is it just for dramatic tension? Is it just so the plot can happen? I I want to know. I want someone to tell me. We saw Toy Story in the theaters while we were being shipped out here. Let's do that. Burger King wants Andy. <laughs> we request Andy for our sponsorship dollars. These rodeo burgers won't sell themselves. Have you ever seen the the famous Burger King small soldiers advertisement where Chip Hazard has to be like escorted from a Burger King because he's crazy about those rodeo burgers? Who isn't? Who isn't? <laughs> Who hasn't been escorted from a Burger King in Akron, Ohio? <laughs> so Alan finds his dad's plane ticket. And this leads us to the introduction of Alan's dad, played by Family Feud's own Richard Karn. Oh my goodness, everybody. In the spirit of this, I decided we should play a quick round of Family Feud, where I'm going to ask Sam and Adam to name the top eight answers on the board of what the Gorgonites' names are. Sam, start us off. Pino. Ooh, yep, that's on there, Adam. Exodia. Correct. Bonarno. Yes, that is right, too. Hamburger. Oh, Adam, first strike on the board. You got that Burger King on your mind, my man. <laughs> oh. Well, now all I can think about is the Rodeo King. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, I forgot the, to change the name. The Rodeo King has once again dethroned an entire conversation in another episode of Family Feud. It's not the first time, it won't be the last. But anyway, Richard Karn is in this movie. Uh, you know what? I'm actually looking at IMDb right now. That is not Richard Korn. <laughs> Oop. <laughs> that man who looks and sounds exactly like Richard Karn isn't Richard Karn? You are correct, sir. If it talks like a Richard Karn and it looks like a Richard Karn. <sighs> we get a bunch of really stupid shit setting up uh, Richard Karn, not Richard Karn, <laughs> Alan's dad, Stu, <laughs> and... Alan's mom, they have a weird dynamic related to stress, I guess. They got that hippie shit. They're smoking that chronic in their downtime, man. <laughs> Richard Karn says, I'm not addicted, I just need it to calm me down. <laughs> but thankfully, this is this doesn't end in complete disaster, because we get a bridge to introduce us to a returning favorite of Edging Podcast... Phil Hartman is back, baby. He's back, baby. I heard there were some ovaries left unburst. <laughs> Not only do we get Phil Hartman back for another consecutive season, 
we get the most wonderful line. And I, I wrote it down word for word, and I'd like to recite it so everyone can hear this in its entirety. Phil Hartman greets his daughter, who happens to be Kirsten Dunst's character. And she says, you know, hey, Daddy. And he says, hey, honey. Al here was just telling me that the angle of the Earth's tilt on its axis relative to the geocentric orbit of the transmission satellite restricts the placement of optimum reception. <laughs> and I think it's about time someone said that. <laughs> I've been saying it for years. The man comes in and the first thing he says is the funniest fucking thing in the movie up to this point. <laughs> God bless him. It's Phil fucking Hartman, baby. He's back. It's Phil Hartman like you've never seen him before. I don't think so, because he's just playing Ted again. (laughs) Maybe this is just who he is. (laughs) Down deep. I love that he clarifies with, in other words, this tree's in the way. (laughs) 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 Who would have gotten that there's a tree in the way from the geocentric (laughs) orbit of the transmission satellite? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Also, he confirms that the Earth is indeed round. Bringing up Phil Fimple, played by Phil Hartman, I think it's kind of relevant to talk about the untimely passing of Phil Hartman. Uh, He died very shortly before this film premiered, and naturally, because of the nature of his death, a lot of the more violent scenes were removed from this movie with, I don't know, maybe a month before premiere. That kind of shows a little bit of why some things feel a little bit scattered in places. You know, between that and that Burger King sponsorship you were telling us about, it it really does feel like a lot of things were stacked against this movie. Yeah. I feel, I, I feel so bad for Joe Dante because, like, this is the time where big studios started to really fuck him over. Because he was... Very similar to Robert Rodriguez. He liked to do things himself. Like, he was very focused on his projects. And I, th- I think working with all these big studios really fucked him up. I always enjoy when an actor plays a character that has the same name as them. Like, Phil Hartman playing Phil yes. Simple. Because it always makes me think of them lacking, like, the object permanence to be like, Andy, that's me too. I'm playing this character named Andy, you see. <laughs> Phil, Phil, come here, Phil. That's that's why in Suicide Squad, and uh, Jared Leto's character is only referred to as Jared. <laughs> the Jared. <laughs> I'm the Jared. So Phil Fimple, huh? Well, Stuart comes out and sees what's happening here. Uh, they're they're getting ready to cut here? down that tree. They're getting ready to cut that tree right down. Get get it out of the way of the satellite, and. Uh, Stewart's not happy at all. He calls it just one more piece of techno crap pulling in so much juice that they're living in the center of a cancer dome. <laughs> I told you they <laughs> Which were is hippies, another man. line I really liked. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, his response is just as funny. That's never been proven. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Hartman. This was before we had 5G to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Hartman is the Ubermensch coming down to carry this movie back on his massive shoulders. <laughs> he doesn't care about property rights. He just goes over to fucking cut down this tree because he wants to get HBO and Skinamax. <laughs> Ted really wants his wank bank full. That's what he calls his DVR. 
<laughs> you you cannot listen to these examples of Phil Fimple's characterization and tell me that he is not a swinger. Oh yeah. He is a menace There's to There's plenty of fill to go around. Have your fill, baby. Hey. <laughs> Call a doctor if you find any fimples afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> this man is a menace to monogamy on this entire block. <laughs> hey, Stu, why don't you bring the wife over to one of our key parties tonight? <laughs> I also really appreciate when Kirsten Dunst first enters the scene with her little brother. She she immediately says like dad and and the son says dad I want a chip hazard toy and then the mom says please don't upset your father dear. <laughs> it just goes to show this is a regular occurrence. Mm, mm. Anything these children say set this man to a fevered pitch. He's holding the chainsaw, too, to be fair. <laughs> I wouldn't have upset a man with a chainsaw. Especially when he's a lord of cancer. <laughs> tainting this entire neighborhood. <laughs> I'm also very grateful for what uh, Stu says about, uh, about Phil's endeavors with the satellite dish. As Phil storms off seeing the tree getting cut down, Phil announces loudly... <clears throat> He probably got a deal on that thing. <laughs> what What are you talking about, Stu? How does that relate to the tree getting cut down? Are you really concerned about, about Phil's finances? Especially considering he, he supposedly owns a lot of techno crap. His house is full of it, apparently. He probably got, why, why would that matter? He probably got a deal on it, Adam. That fucking smart shopper. <laughs> Bill Fimple is many things, and a savvy shopper, chiefly among those. <laughs> then, unfortunately, Phil Hartman goes away, and we get 90s haircut coming back to give his dad a plane ticket. You know, they have these interesting exchanges back and forth about how Alan's screwing things up constantly. And Drew, as someone who hasn't seen this movie in a very long time, I want to know... What would your guess be as to why they don't tr the parents don't trust 90s haircut? So you know the movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids? Okay. Of course. I'm I'm not saying this is likely. I'm saying this is my best guess. Alan invented a device that shrank all copies of Honey I Shrunk the Kids in the tri-state area, making them unable to be played on any VHS VCR players. That's why Phil's getting the dish, so he can watch it. Finally. <laughs> it's the only way I can watch my favorite film now. My beloved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I love Rick Moranis. <laughs> Who doesn't? I love the cute little ant. They name him Auntie. That sounded more like Donald Trump. Trump. <laughs> They're calling him Auntie, right? It's true. I, They're all saying it. I call him Little Auntie. Crooked Phil's tearing down our trees to build his giant cancer ray giving satellite dishes. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, so Alan now shut up is absolutely the terrorist responsible for my tiny copy of Honey I Shrunk the Kids. And 
everybody has given him shit about it, rightfully so. Yeah, we forgot to mention even uh, Christy uh, brought it up when she was at the store that he was a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. She didn't say why, so we're still kind of in the dark about that. So it has to be something with broad implications, right, Sam? Oh, yeah. Surely he's creating uh, mustard gas in his basement. <laughs> that troublemaker always curating lethal gases. <laughs> I just can't trust him worth a darn. Hey, Mom, can I have $20 for uh, ammonia and bleach? No, no, I mean, uh, uh, toys? Are they toys of war? <laughs> yes. No. Where do you think Dad stands on Tickle Me G.I. Joe? <laughs> Where do you tickle him? You know, his belly. What does he say when you tickle him? Uh, he actually reads uh, Tommy Lee Jones's entire speech that comes soon later into the movie. Oh, I love that speech. Uh, I, I, we will get to the speech, but first we have to talk about Alan Now Shut Up's incredibly interesting life he leads as he gets home. Yeah, he gets home, goes up to his top floor basement, goes on Reddit on his 90s computer. (laughs) Am I the asshole? I stole a small soldier from my father's store (laughs) because he doesn't like war war dolls. When he gets home, though, he finds out that there is a little stowaway in his backpack. A small little stowaway. It's Archer, the Gorgonite, Emissary. Emissary of the Gorgonites. They're calling him the Emissary of the Gorgonites. That's what they say. So, once again, Archer seems to act like a, a regular old toy while Alan's, like, talking to him. And he says, he says, he starts interacting with Archer, and Archer asks his name, and he says, Alan, now shut up. So Archer decides his name is Alan, now shut up. <laughs> is it funny? <laughs> Time to play. Is it funny? No. No, it's not funny. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't that that funny. (laughs) Drew, no, it's not funny. (laughs) Thank you for playing. Is it funny? So Alan goes on his computer, he does his homework, and he goes to bed. Woo, I'm, I'm glad we, we had that scene. Luckily, Alan leaves up Microsoft Encarta, which is a very relevant software today, which is essentially just an online encyclopedia. And being left unattended, Archer decides to go through and learn about the entire history of the world, I guess. You know, I'm going to be honest, I like this little montage of him looking through things because it's kind of ties back to David Cross's original idea for these characters that they they learn things alongside children. It would have been nice if it came into play later on or was plot relevant, but as what it is, it's fine. It's a nice little callback to remind people what they were supposed to be originally and how far they've come from that. Yeah, before the military-industrial complex warped them into victims. This movie has a lot to say about war. And what it's good for. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing! (laughs) (laughs) The first page Archer opens up is the U.S. Capitol building. Doing a little reconnaissance, huh, Archer? Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
motherfucker. Where was he on January 6th? <laughs> <laughs> they were flying Gorgonite flags as they stormed the Capitol building. <laughs> there will be no mercy. <laughs> Gorgonon. Gorgonon, I like that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, as Archer begins researching all of human history ever... There's a big sticker on the computer that really upset me. It says question. It says, "What was it?" Question everything. Question reality. Re- oh, question reality. Sorry. Is this a dog whistle? Is Joe Dante trying to wake up some sleeper cells or some shit? <laughs> Sam, when you saw question reality, what did you begin questioning in your daily life? I began questioning how many people I interact with on a daily basis are actually aliens. You mean Gorgonites? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Three archers in a trench coat. <laughs> Greetings, small Sam. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> All right. How's he doing over there? He's squirming around a little bit. His legs kind of twitching. Oh no! What color is he? He's still mostly pink. Okay. They'll probably get an ambulance, no problem, then. Do we get a tiny ambulance, people? Can we get a Hot Wheels ambulance in here? <laughs> Call Tiny 911. Does, <laughs> Does he have small insurance? Uh, he has he has little Etna. <laughs> little Etna? <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure you keep us posted on his condition while we get back to the greatest movie ever made. Uh... <sighs> I hope Lil Pharma doesn't screw him over with his payments. <laughs> Lil Pharma. <laughs> Lil Big Pharma. But Alan actually wakes up from his from his beautiful slumber. And fresh as a daisy, he begins interacting with Archer, realizing this is no ordinary toy. Is there sentience in there? Yes. Yeah. It seems so. Well, naturally, he's a 14-year-old boy with a 90s haircut, so that concept is lost on him. He just thinks he's a fun little dude. Guys, who's the sexiest commando elite? <sighs> oh. I want to say Butch Meathook. <laughs> he's got those big arms. looks pretty good. I still like Kip Killigan. Really, Sam? I didn't have you pegged as a Killigan man. <laughs> I'll kill again. <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, Don't try me. <laughs> we apologize to anyone listening in Oregon. I, I'm partial to that Link Static guy. Now, now that's the that's the femboy power bottom of the group. Is that the one? I believe that's the one voiced by George Kennedy of Naked Gun fame. Really. Oh, I believe say. so. Oddly enough, most of these guys are voiced by members of the cast of the uh, 1960s war movie called The Dirty Dozen. Oh, that makes sense. Oh. We got George Kennedy. We got, uh, shit, what's his name? Ernie Borgnine. We got uh, some others. Who's Ernest <laughs> Borgnine? Uh, I think he's Brick Bazooka. <laughs> Brick Bazooka. Brick Bazooka. <laughs> My name's Big Gun. Anything less than standard issue is a felony. 
Wait, what, what, what was that he said? <laughs> you're, under, you're being charged with having standard issue weapons. It's a felony. <laughs> but these toys, guys, they absolutely ransack that toy store. They break straight out of their boxes. They rip out of the packaging just like we foreshadowed in the beginning. Just like in the commercials, gentlemen. And they, and they are itching. They are thirsty for that Gorgonite blood. But just like in the Persian Gulf War... The, the, the commando elite decide to make a tactical first strike for the glory of the United States by hunting down the Gorgonites wherever they live and massacring them. Um, fragging them, Drew? Excuse me? Oh, my mistake. You know, I heard Saddam Hussein was offering uh, shelter to the Gorgonites, and that's why we needed to invade. <laughs> uh, as this rumble goes on, that made me wonder, are, are there weapons, like, at least to them, real and functioning? Huh. Well, they're abandoning him, so I don't think so. He uh, Chip Hazard takes one of the the toy guns and breaks it in half across his leg, as he, uh, as we alluded to earlier, says that their standard issue is simply not good enough. Hmm. They they want to kill for real, guys. <laughs> was there was there a, perhaps a cut scene of them testing their weapons or realizing that they're just plastic? Well, I mean, he tried to kill Archer earlier, but. Perhaps him saying standard issue isn't up to snuff is just a cheeky way of him saying, we need better weapons. Mm. Could be. Okay. I really think that they killed all those Gorgonites guys. Oh, buddy. Oh, yeah. Every, every, well, as we see the next day, they're picking up pieces of one of them. Every department store across America is going to have to throw away those marketable little fellows that they're selling to tie in with the movie because they're dead already. Yeah, speaking of that, do you think this is happening everywhere? That there are small soldiers available? Ah, you see, they said that in the first 15 minutes. They said uh, they're only supposed to hit shelves in in another week. What's stopping them from getting out of the boxes in the storage vans? Uh, Alan had to take out, like, a, a pin from them to activate the battery. But what about the commando elites who didn't do that? To themselves to wake up. We could say, or the Gorgonites who were sentient in the box. Oh, yeah. Maybe this movie's logic isn't completely flawless. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Now, I'm here defending small soldiers, but even I got to admit, it's pretty damn guilty in some areas. <laughs> Thank you, Southern lawyer. Y'all welcome. I think, is it is it that time where, where uh, well, do we, do we have any more, more to say? I would like to call a minor is it funny for uh Chip Hazard's overlong war speech. Adam is kind of funny. I think it's funny. Okay, I'm on the fence. So so we'll give it a we'll give it a funny. I I think it only it's is only funny. I mean, the context of the speech is he's taking like one line from every famous speech in history. He's saying things like, ask not what you could do for your country, but, you know, shit like, shit like that. Just broken bits of every speech. And he's not the one who read the Microsoft encyclopedias, so this is really impressive. It's very impressive. This was in his programming. But the programmer didn't want to list every speech, so he just did one line from every single one ever. <laughs> we get all this set to a reference to the movie Patton, I believe. Mm-hmm, as he stands in front of a big American flag. As he stands flag. in front of the big American flag. You know, kids love the movie Patton. 
Burger King was really happy with that reference. Yeah. The king's patting himself on the back. Rodeo burgers are selling like hotcakes. Oh, he's patting himself on the back. I get what you did there, yeah, Adam. Buddy. <laughs> what would you do for a rodeo burger right about now? Man, I would wipe out some hideous freak Gorgonites, I'll tell you what. <laughs> That's what Chip Hazard promised all the commando elites. For every Gorgonite you wipe out, you get one rodeo burger, nice hot crispy onion rings, barbecue sauce, all the works, flame grill patties, what do you say? <laughs> You guys got to stop. I'm hungry. <laughs> I haven't eaten yet. <laughs> You'll eat once you kill the Gorgonite scum. What say you? Private Sam Shockwave. I say hoorah. <laughs> Man, what kind of dystopian bullshit is this that people die for a private militia because they promised them rodeo burgers? Drew. Yeah? You haven't seen this movie, right? Aside from ah. the time as a child. What do, you, what do you think's gonna happen next? What do you think's gonna? How do you think it's gonna end based on this fifteen minutes? Okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little bit of a logical guess. I think that Archer and Alan now shut up are gonna have to team up to wander their town and search for like missing Gorgonites and also stop the Commando Elite from butchering them. And like every Commando Elite's gonna have their own scenic locale. Like one's gonna be at the local pool and one's going to be at uh, the Ikea, one's at the local opium den, and, you know, they just got to do creative things to, to stop them. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for joining us in this, our second episode of Sm- Edging on Small Soldiers. I've been Drew. I've been Sam. And I've been Adam. That was Edging on Small Soldiers. If you liked what you heard, consider giving us a follow to help our channel grow. New episodes every week until the movie's finished, and then we rinse and repeat with a brand new film. Thank you.